Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to our monthly webinar here, Latinos in Clinical Research. We have, as always, a special guest. Today, we have Derek Williams. He has more than 10 years' experience in the industry. Uh, he's been, he has experience in every single part of the uh, important, I mean, every single important part uh, so he has been, he started as a, a clinical research coordinator, then he became a site director, site owner. Now he's a senior CRA and his strengths are in uh, patient recruitment and site uh, development. So uh, here he is, Derek, thank you very much for being with us and for sharing your, with us your experience and, and obviously your tips and, and I mean, we're very open to that, especially that this topic is such a challenge in the industry. So it's great to hear uh, from different perspectives and especially somebody that has that as a, I mean, it, it, it has become a knack for you. <laughs> so uh, Derek, it's all yours. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, Monica, thank you so much. And I can't, I can't tell you how excited I am to be here with you guys today. And I just think it's uh, incredible. Like as I was telling Dan earlier that, you know, I've been following him for years. I love what he's bringing to our industry. Um, you know, you know, I used to be in a, it previously before I got into clinical research, I was in the re uh, real estate mortgage and finance and that type of thing. And, and one of the things that I didn't like about that industry, it was like everywhere you went, you know, if you sat at a table, there was, you know, out of 10 people, there were two or three other people in your same industry, you know, and it was like, everybody knew somebody who was a realtor, somebody knew somebody who was in my business. And I said, it's so funny that in our industry, once I joined the clinical research industry, it's very similar, but it's different in the sense that nobody knows now, you know, nobody knows what we do, you know, and you, you tell your family members and your friends and everything, you know, about what you do and still people don't know what you do. So I'm glad that Dan's been in the forefront of bringing, you know, more attention to our industry, you know, getting more people involved, regular people involved. I think that's really awesome and really exciting. Thank you. So what Derek. I would like to do is share with you guys today, you know, my friend Monica, you know, tabbed me today and she said, you know, you'd be good to talk about, uh, you could come in and share a little bit about yourself and, you know, how you got here and also, you know, share a little bit about um, recruitment and site development. So here we go. So as I mentioned, I, you know, I had a previous industry, you know, uh, experience um, in the financial services industry. My wife was actually the CRA in her family. And um, so through a lot of, you know, in our industry, we're always bringing it home, a lot of pillow talk talking about different situations. She would always pick my brain about, you know, what I thought about different things about, you know, our industry. And I would always give her some of my feedback. And she said, you know, you should really think about doing, you know, joining the industry. And I was like, eh, you don't even really like it that much, you know? So why would I want to join it? You know, just poking at it, right? So anyway, um, you know, as our children got older and my wife didn't you know, you know, the, the thought of both, enough, both of us traveling didn't, wasn't appealing to me initially, but I did stumble upon, there was a course at uh, UCSD that had a clinical trials administration course. And I said, you know what, before I do anything, let me just take the course and see if I even like it. And when I took it, 
I really liked it. I loved all of the different facets, how drug was developed, or the research and development process and all that and how it, it came to uh, fruition. And it just so happened that at that, right around that same time, I had a colleague of mine who was an oncologist and, and at a party I'd asked her, had, you know, has she ever thought about doing clinical research? And she said, yeah, actually I am already doing it. But uh, she was just doing it pro bono, you know, as a friend, uh, as a favor uh, to the medical center that she worked for. And I, I asked her, hey, would you ever thought about doing it as a business? And she said, yeah, you know, I just don't know how to get into it. I said, man, I think I can help you. So we partnered together and we started a, 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 a partnership. And as you guys all know, if you've been in the industry and if you started out at that level, you know, you're the, you're the site manager, but you're also the janitor you know, <laughs> coordinator and everything else. So that was me. I was thrown into the fire and learned, you know, what some people would say the hard way, but I say the right way because I got to learn our industry really from the bottom up, you know, so, and I've got to see and experience a lot of things. So, you know, it just so happened that, you know, working as a, uh, as, you know, in clinical research along with her practice, the physician that I was working with, it was just too much. She had small children. So we decided not to continue our partnership. And it was at that time that I decided that I was going to become a CRA. And I was uh, brought on by a small uh, boutique uh, CRO. And they actually brought me on for site development, to be honest with you, you know, because of my understanding of, of contracts and budgets and, and that kind of thing. And then it kind of morphed into me becoming a CRA. So, and that was over 10 years ago. And here I am now, you know, getting to talk with you guys about uh, recruitment. Um, one of the things that I've learned, you know, throughout this process, I was very fortunate, um, you know, with the first CRO that I worked for, we really did concentrate a whole lot on, uh, excuse me, on site development. And what I've noticed uh, with most of our site partners, the biggest challenge was usually recruitment. You know, you do a lot of work. There's a lot of lead work, you know, contacting the sponsor, getting getting uh, in front of them, going through the pre-selection visit, getting selected. You're super excited, you know, and then now, now the real fun begins because the clinical trial doesn't even begin until you have subjects. And one of the challenges in our industry is sites uh, routinely have challenges when it comes to recruitment. And the lifeblood of every clinical research site is the wealth of how many subjects you have. So knowing how to recruit, what to do, what to say, and what not to say is gonna be very important. So what I thought I would go over with you today, obviously you probably have, there's a, this is such a, 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 a huge topic. There's a lot to cover. But what I thought I'd do is just kind of break it down and to make it a little bit more uh, palatable, uh, palatable uh, easy to digest. I thought I'd break it down into two aspects. And really, this is how I see it. You know, you have the, the lead generation, the, the aspect when you're uh, trying to generate leads or generate referrals or, you know, get subjects. And then the second part to that is, which is equally important, is once you get, once you do get a lead or once you do get a referral, how do you turn that referral or that lead into a subject? Because that's the, that's the unknown part 
you know, that many people miss and they get, they get the subjects. And then for, for some reason, when they make the call, um, they don't get a call back, um, unresponsive, um, um, or maybe they come part, part of the way and then they don't show up again. So I'm gonna talk about what I've found so far has been some of the strategies and tips that I think that may be useful. And the, and the funny thing is, the reason that I'm even on this call is because I met with Monica and I was there on what we would call in our industry, a booster visit. And what is a booster visit? Booster visit is, oh, we need a little bit of a uh, jump, you know, a, a little, a bolt of energy possibly, or maybe some tips, maybe some tricks on what we can do in order to um, bump up recruitment. So I'm gonna share with you some of the same things I've shared with some of my other site partners, because what I really believe in the strength of our industry is really gonna be based upon best practices. And the great um, part that I have is that I get to meet with a, a variety of different sites. Some are successful, some are not successful. So once you learn what the most successful sites are doing, you know, there was always a, one of my mentors would always say, you know, success leaves clues. And if we're wise, we'll look and follow the clues of the sites that have been successful and follow their trends. So if I can ask anyone, I'm just going to put a question out there. If you have a site um, and a PI, what is your best referral source? Can anybody answer that? What is your best referral source? Well, it should be the principal investigator, right? <laughs> and the sub-investigators, if the sub-investigators are in the same therapeutic area. Absolutely. So if you have a PI and the PI has um, a database of subjects that meet your indication, that's gonna be your very first and your best referral source. So obviously learning how to mine that, learning how to um, read charts, work with your PI to bring those referral sources, you know, to the forefront, that's, that's, all, that's another story. But what I really wanted to hone in on is the next level. The next level is gonna be your warm referrals. And these are gonna be referrals that are very similar to the PI and database referrals. It's gonna be using other PIs and other um, uh, uh, industry resources such as hospitals and medical groups. And this is what I'm gonna call your network. So once you start, anybody who has a site and if you have a PI, you have a network. Any person or any group or any association, hospital, medical group that your PI is associated with or has associations with should be your primary target. And what I've noticed in our industry and, and with many of my sites, very few sites have very strong connections with their network. So if you really wanna have a very strong uh, recruitment referral base, it's very important that you network with your network. So, and what does that mean? Networking with your network. That means starting off making contact with all of the warm referrals within your network. 
that can come by by a variety of different um, ways of, of making that happen. What I've seen based on some of the industry changes and trends is, um, you know, obviously a lot of people use social media um, and, and, and all of its platforms in order to do recruitment. But that's really not a warm referral. That usually comes from people that you don't know or don't know well. What you really wanna do is start off with people that you know and that you know well. And just like I mentioned, how when I was in real estate, I could sit down at a table and there would be several of us in the same industry. You could sit down right now and you could probably put eight to 10 tables together and you're not gonna find two researchers together. So you have a, a super opportunity in an open market because everybody that you talk to is gonna, it's gonna be new to them. Everybody that you meet is gonna be open eyes and, and, and open ears for you, unlike it would be in many other industries. So I would encourage you to get on the, on your, on the platform and really start networking with your network. And believe it or not, obviously you're gonna be starting with other physicians, hospitals and medical groups, but don't, don't shy away from friends and family or anybody else. Let them know what kind, what kind of studies you're working on when you're working on them. You'd be surprised who knows who, who knows who. Just like I'm on this conversation right now, who would have ever known that Dan and Monica were connected and I'm connected with Monica and that Judy Galindo is on this call and she's also one of my site partners. You just never know what group you're gonna be in. So don't ever be shy about mentioning what you do and, um, and then the next most important thing is why you're doing it. I have a picture behind me as a, I went to Big Bear, um, it was about three or four years ago. It was a celebration. My mother had um, lung cancer and she went through treatment and thankfully she was able to recover. But during that process, I got to really come to understand really the importance of our contribution to the whole medical society. And if you're not really connected as to why you're doing what you're doing, I tell you, take a step back and reevaluate what contribution you're making to the industry. Because all, all the time you'll see studies that you've worked on, medications that are going to market, that are serving populations of people that you've worked with. And those people one day may possibly be someone that you love and care about. So when you're starting off in your journey in recruitment, I want you to start off with your why, why you're doing it. Why is it important? Why should they come into the office? Why should they come into your office? What's important about this trial? What difference is it gonna make in their life? What benefits will they, uh, will they, will they realize after completing this trial? Once you connect with the why, then you can start asking some other pertinent questions to your referral, or excuse me, to your subjects. And that's gonna be what their whys are. Why are they here? It isn't often that we ask the question, well, why do you wanna be in this particular trial? Why is research important to you? Finding out why your subjects are willing to 
um, explore experimental drug or treatment is important. Once you know that, you can connect with them in a way that no one else can connect with them. So it's very important that number one, when you're making that call to someone that you see as a potential um, um, subject, that you take a step back and remember your why, why you're there, why we all are here. And secondarily, make sure that you're inquisitive as to what their why is. Why do they want to take this journey? Because once you can connect with somebody and find out, I'm doing this because of my mom. I'm doing this because of my child. I'm doing this because I want to leave a long lasting um, mark, you know, and said that I did my part or I, I was a contributor, whatever it is, I don't know what it is, but everybody has their why. And it's important for us, and as busy as we are, as busy as you are, believe me, I know how busy you are. I've been there. But as busy as you are, to take a second and find out why is it important to them. When they come and they speak to you, you only have a few seconds, many times, to make a connection. And those few minutes I've learned from the sites that do it the best is about making a connection. Now I can tell you, if you got on the call and you were listening, thinking we were gonna go over, oh, you should try study kick or trial partners, or you know, I could give you all the mechanisms, but what 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 you'll see what happens is people will get referrals, but they won't get subjects. And they won't get people who bind to them, who are willing to finish the process. And that's because we haven't done the, the small things that allow us to really move the marker because our what we do, our field is really, as, as Dan would always say, it's the ecosystem and it really is. And our connection to our referral partners, when you are able to make connections with your referral partners, so just think about this, you have a site and Every hospital knows that you do research. Every physician, every nurse practitioner, every PA in your area knows that you're in research and they know what indications that you primarily serve if you serve multiple indications, but they know you, right? They know you and more importantly, you know them. Just like if this was your mother or your daughter or your son, if you were to refer them, you would want to refer them to somebody who you know, right? So when I say, when I say to someone, hey, Dr. Johnson said you'd be a good candidate for this trial, that carries weight, especially if the person is familiar with Dr. Johnson. And if Dr. Johnson happens to be their own physician, how much more weight does that carry? And you've just taken on the strength and power of the referral power of that physician just by having that connection. So as you're developing your referral ecosystem, remember, always starting off with your 
with your PI. Whatever is in the database, that's gold. Absolute gold. Don't think to go anywhere else until you exacerbate that first. I see a lot of sites we get there and so, uh, PI has a huge database and they're paying for an outside uh, vendor to recruit for them. And then of course, the vendor does what they do. They, they, they turn the dirt, they generate a lot of uh, opportunity, but it's very difficult to close uh, when you don't have a connection with somebody and much easier to close when you have a connection with somebody. So make sure number one, that you're starting off with your, your PI's database. Two, start your warm, your warm market. Connect with the connectors. There's no need you going after one or two people when you can connect with a group of physicians who can send you multiple referrals. Just think about it. If you were in a network that had 10 uh, physicians and each one sent you one referral every other month, that's six per, per, uh, per physician. Over 10 months, that's 60 referrals. That's, it's easy when you think about it because recruitment really is, it's a numbers game. But there's, 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 a, a, there's nuances though. There's nuances to recruitment. As much as we want to get all of the numbers, how you get those numbers is equally important, if not more. So by developing your, your ecosystem, first starting off with your PI, secondly, setting off with you know, your sub-I and any of their connections and setting up your network, then you're gonna be using all of the traditional or that which are becoming more traditional uh, resources, social media, Facebook, Instagram. You know, we've done Craigslist, um, making sure that you're connecting to uh, medical organizations. You know, if you're in an indication and you're doing um, oncology, then you automatically should be connected to um, um, a breast cancer association or, or lung cancer association or a cancer association in general. If you're doing, you know, um, um, heart disease and you, you're not a part, you're not connected, you need to be connecting to the American Heart Association, diabetes, the American Diabetes Association, all the associations, you, they should know who you are and that you are part of the team and because there are a lot of things that they can't do and they need you as a site in doing clinical research to provide a service that they cannot provide that only you can provide. You're the, you're the middle gap for a lot of different uh, industries, not industries, but a lot of different players within our industry. So once you know that, once you know that how needed you are, you'll approach uh, recruitment in a different mindset. You'll realize that you're actually a very needed source. You're a very needed player. Your subjects need you. The organizations need you. The PIs need you, the hospitals need you, everybody needs you, they just don't know. And it's our job to get out there and let them know how we can be a benefit to them. So we've already talked about <clears throat> uh, knowing your why, getting to know the why of your subjects, um, 
and understanding that recruitment in general is a numbers game. Getting more, getting more referrals is going to give you more opportunities. And then lastly, as we move toward what do you do now once you have, um, what do you do now once you have a referral? Okay, so now all the hard work has already been done. You've talked to the, you've talked to your uh, your database. They've they've agreed to to listen to you, because that's usually the first step. They're they're willing to listen, and and who knows how far that's going to go. But they're willing. They're willing to listen. So now what do we do? I tell you what we do. The first thing that we do is we decide who is the best person to talk to them. Making sure you're you're a site. Put forth the your look through your staff members and find out who's the best person to talk to them. Who has who has a, a welcoming voice or tone? Who has the kind of spirit that people connect with? Because a lot of these things aren't uh, excuse me aren't rocket science, but these nuances. A lot of times when we get so busy in our work, oh you do it. You'll just point to someone else to do it, and any and we'll pick anybody to do it not realizing that, man, this is probably singularly going to be the most one of the most important decisions that you make as a site owner and as a site developer. Who are you going to trust to bring in your most prized possession? And if you go slack on that, it's all going to be downhill from there. You'll always be chasing, trying to catch up. But if you take a few minutes to find out who the right person is or who the right people are, who are gonna be a part of your recruitment team, make sure you make the right selection. Selecting the right person is critical. Um, secondly, um, iron sharpeneth iron. You know, create teams, find uh, your champion and then find your champion's champion. Find somebody to work with your champion that's going to help them develop and become even better. We all can become better. Trust me, the recruitment process is not a, a zero-sum game. It's, it's a development game. We always can get better at recruitment. How we say what we say, what we say, when we say it. That brings me to a very important point. When you're developing a, 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 a recruitment team, Make sure you have someone that's available after hours. I would suggest if they're working full time, make them 10 to seven. Make sure that there's somebody to overlap outside of your normal work hours that can stay late, that can make the kind of calls. Everybody isn't gonna be available during the, during the bank hours from nine to five. Many times you'll make your, your best recruitment catches between that catch space between when somebody gets off of work and while they're making dinner or right around that time period. So anytime between, I say between five and eight, even if you need to stagger someone where they come in at four and work from four to eight, if they're working part-time, I, I would make that suggestion. It's very important that you catch people where they are and make it as comfortable and as easy as it, is, as it can be for them to say yes. So developing a, a, a schedule and a strategy that allows your champion to have the greatest opportunity of success, I think is gonna be critical. And then also too, spend a few minutes during the week with the recruitment strategy. What are we gonna say? Do you have a script? 
Are you guys all saying the same thing? If that person isn't there, is the next person up gonna come with the same kind of energy and have and, and give the same um, verbiage and information? It's important. Make sure you spend a few minutes developing what your recruitment strategy is, um, how we're gonna contact people, and then also knowing when you make that call, knowing your stuff knowing your inclusion exclusion criteria that's going to be very important you only have and remember you only have a few you only have a few seconds many times a couple of minutes many times to make that connection knowing what your study offers and then also knowing what some of the barriers are are going to be very important when you know in ahead of time what some of the challenges are for recruitment you already know that by looking at the inclusion exclusion criterias before you even call the subject. You should have already, as a team, discussed what are our workarounds? How can we get around this objection if there is one? Sometimes you can't. Sometimes, as you guys know, the protocol is so stringent, they're looking for a needle in a haystack and many people are just not gonna qualify. But what I find quite often is that sites with a little bit more preparedness can look over those inclusion exclusion criterias and determine what are going to be the best ways to meet those challenges so if you're looking over those and coming up with ideas as to what we can do or or what uh, and this is just giving an example so i'm working right now on a study um, where um, where breastfeeding is an issue the sponsors offered um, a variety of different resources. Knowing what those resources are is critical. When you're speaking with someone and the sponsors offer transportation, making sure you, you let people know there's transportation available. If there are any other resources that the sponsors made available, childcare, make sure that they know the childcare is available. All of the resources that the sponsor is offering should be something that should be common knowledge that should come off your tongue just as easily as you can say hello because you only have a few minutes to make that connection and everybody as they always say in the sales industry and this and it's the same in our industry the subjects want to know what's in it for them why should they come why is this going to be important and by you doing a little bit of leg by a little bit little uh, legwork, you know, really knowing what your inclusion exclusion criteria are, knowing what all the resources that are available um, on your study, and having a great connection with your referral sources if you needed to refer them for anything, it's going to be the difference between night and day. I've seen um, sites who have received hundreds of referral leads and have no subjects. Hundreds of referral leads with no subjects. At some point, you can't blame the referrer. Some, at some point, you have to look and say, what can we do better? What are we missing? And I tell you, some of the things that are missing are in plain sight and they're easy. 
They're easy. They're easy. Let's start off with saying, hey, let's make sure that we make a, a, a connection. Let's expect the call. When you go out and you do the work to have a referral, expect them to call you. Know that they're going to call you and be ready. And then once you get the, your opportunity, sometimes you can do your very best bill and the person still says no. I say there are no no's. It's just not right now. I would encourage you when you're talking with any of your potential subjects, and if they tell you no, you say, I totally understand. Hey, do you mind if I follow up with you in another couple of weeks? Thank you. I'll call you back in about two weeks. When that happens, make sure you immediately put them in your calendar. Find out what's gonna be the best time to reach them again. Put them in your calendar. When that day comes, you'd be, you be right there, Johnny on the spot. And it's nothing more endearing to someone when they tell someone no and the person continues to follow up and they're punctual, they're on time and they know their stuff. So if I was apprehensive, scared, concerned, you've just broken that barrier. Now they're willing to listen to you because you've done a very simple thing. You just did what they asked you to do. You called them back when they said to call and you were available. And I'm telling you that process right there, as Dan would say, follow up, follow up, follow up. <laughs> very important. Continue to follow up. If you master that aspect of, of our business, which is talking with individuals, being told no, because that's part of the process, understanding that, because most times people don't even understand what it is that they're saying no to, you, you have to be thinking of what is your counter? What, what can I offer them that would make them or allow them to see what I'm telling them in a different light. Sometimes it might be smart. Hey, you know what? Let me give you a copy of the informed consent. Won't you take this? Uh, I'm going to send it to you. I'd like for you to go ahead and read it. And better yet, won't you take it to your physician and ask him what they or her what they think about it? Maybe you want to care. Maybe you want to share this with your with your children. Maybe that's your why. Maybe that's why you said no. Maybe because you don't understand enough about it to make an intelligent decision, so it's easier to say no. So let me go ahead and offer to send you the informed consent. Read over it. And you know what? I'll follow back up with you next week or two weeks. Which, what will work best for you? Right? So now you've gotten, um, and once they say yes, trust me, You've just made a huge inroad. Now you have a reason to follow up and now you have something to talk about and another opportunity to make a connection because that's all it is. It's about making a connection. And once you are tied with why you're calling, your energy is gonna be different. Once you're connected to why they want you to call, your energy is gonna be drastically different. The call is so much better. It's so much better calling somebody you have a connection with versus calling someone blindly, asking them to do a, a, her, a Herculean task, which is to come in and take investigation. What, are you kidding me? It's not even been, it's, it's still in the trial process. You want me to take that? 
you're asking, think about what we're asking them to do. And once you think about that and put yourself in their shoes and you become more compassionate, you become a super recruiter. A super recruiter. Once you know your why, you know their why, and you can connect with them in a way that they've never been connected with, you'll, you'll grow your business in leaps and bounds. Do you guys have any questions? Wow. Well, like, like Groucho Marx said, yeah. those are those are my principles, and if you don't like them, I have others. Uh, no, this is good. I think one of the things, Derek, and then we'll get to actually some of the questions, and you can either chat or unmute yourself. Uh, but one of the things, like as someone who was in the real estate industry for a while. We have a lot of coaches there in that industry. They're, they're training the agents on how to get leads. One of the things that stuck with me was you want more leads, just talk to more people about real estate. And it kind of reminds me of this because the approach is simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. It's basically talking, having conversations beginning with your immediate sphere of influence and then extending out right through the connections, through the warm referrals that you get. So why do you think, I mean, somebody who does booster visits, and by the way, I want to interview you for my podcast just on <laughs> how you got a career in site development and booster visits, but that's later. Okay. Um, okay. What's like the main reason why sites why sites need a booster visit in the first place? Like, is there a commonality? Is it really something simple as not communicating? And then how do we change that? Yeah, well, you know what? I, like I was saying, it, to me, it's, it's, it's really more of an energy thing. It's more spiritual than it is actual. You know what I mean? I can come and tell you all the different tips, but if you don't have the energy behind it to make it happen, then it really doesn't matter. So as you know, so when you're, when you're excited about a study, man, it, it's much easier to recruit when you're not excited, right? So excitement plays a big difference in how well you recruit, right? It, it, it plays a big difference in how you go after referrals. It plays a big difference on how you interface with the referral and how you interface with your subjects. So all of that is noticeable. And it's difficult in my position when I come to someone, I can't tell you, hey, man, it's time for you to get excited. Let's go get them, man. You know, I have to come with a different approach. I have to tell them all the different strategies and techniques. But the reality it is, man, you got to have a little, you got to be connected to your why. Because as soon as you get yeah. connected to why you're doing what you're doing, you're going to have a different outcome. Your outcome really has a lot to do with your income how you are inwardly is being manifested outwardly. You can see it in your mannerisms, your phone calls, your emails, all of it. But when you're on the phone with somebody and they can tell that you're excited, when you can, when they used to say smile through the phone, when they hear that, because you know, most of our connections now, just think about it now, we're not meeting people face to face hardly anymore. So you got to figure out a way to smile through your email, smile on the phone, smile uh, on your, on your, 
on your on your any type of uh, referral pay, paperwork, anytime advertising. Somehow you got to figure out how to smile and connect through those mediums because we don't get to see we're not seeing people face to face anymore. They're not coming into the office for you to do the whole process and then say no. Most of the time, you got a text message, an email message, or a phone message to make a connection. And if you miss that opportunity, then you've just missed that opportunity. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think a lot of the responsibility lies on the employer. It's easy to blame the coordinator or whomever's in charge. Absolutely. If there's Absolutely. no incentive structure, Absolute. I mean, Absolutely. How, how do you change Absolutely. this though? You can't, you can't talk to the site uh, owner and tell them, Hey, you know, your incentives suck. Like, what are you going to say? Most of them don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> Not even that they suck. They don't even have any. <laughs> and the thing about it is the more someone recruits, it's it's a that's a bottom line generator. It's the most important dollar uh, aspect of any business right. in our industry. So, I'm sorry, I was just wanted to ask you know, a follow up to Dan what he stated there. In terms of incentives, what what do you think is the most productive incentive for a coordinator or any staff member to recruit? Cash. <laughs> cash uh, man i, mean, I like the, that the, the, the sponsors giving reimbursements and and things to subjects to come in but the but for some reason the person who brings them in gets nothing why is that <laughs> well don't some sponsors frown on cash payments for recruitment not if they want to enroll for their studies no well the, this is the thing <laughs> the the sponsor spends thousands millions of dollars if not in recruitment of amongst a hundred sites, they're going to give each site. How many, how much do you, how much do you request in your advertising budget? And that's each site and that's hundreds of sites per the study. So the, the, the sponsors are already prepared, willing. That's the reason why they contact you. Cause if they had this, if they had the subjects themselves, they wouldn't need the sites. Oh, they come absolutely. to the sites because the sites have the subjects. So Figuring out an equitable way to compensate the, the, the team, because I don't say it's just one person, because it really takes a team you know, to recruit. How do you compensate your team for a job well done? And I think that there's some way that, um, you know, maybe you have a target, a benchmark of, you know, this is, because first of all, most sites don't um, meet in, in um, enrollment targets. Put that down. Let's meet our enrollment target. Let's every study that we're in, we make sure that our site meets the enrollment target. If you meet the enrollment target, we got a little surprise for you. Because I think that when you're, when, you know, and you, as you see the, 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 the sponsors, are all trying to put, oh, it's the Olympics. Well, how are you doing in recruitment? Oh, it's the Super Bowl. Who's the Super Bowl team? Who's the best? They're putting in all kinds of incentives, games, um, different things to try to motivate sites to be really engaged in this process. Why? Because they spend thousands upon thousands of dollars just to bring you aboard. Yeah, we got a question from... 
Nicole, but bronze medal, very underrated. That's a deep statement <laughs> right there. All right, Nicole. I have a question. So I'm working on the CRO side right now, and we have a study that we're really struggling on recruitment and the sponsors like willing to do anything to get recruitment. But, you know, you hear from some people and you can't really find an answer. Our sponsor, if I said something like some kind of, so we're using this big campaign. And like you said, these sites are getting 150 to 250, I would say referrals so far in like two months. And maybe like three subjects have screened from all of our sites. So I'm talking 800. And so the sites are like, oh, this campaign sucks. We don't like it. We like the other one we had before. It was so much better. It was quality patients. We looked at the questions. We're, it's using Instagram, Facebook. It's the same kind of thing. It's just targeting the same population. And so I think it's kind of like a lot of work and the sites are kind of checked out. Is it appropriate for us to propose something for uh, the sponsor to maybe provide some kind of incentive to the recruiters? Do you think that would be a good idea? And do you guys know if that's legal? Is that allowed? I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, and Dan will probably back me up. The sponsor is probably not gonna do that because that's really a um, a site level um, issue. Just as he says, that's a that's an owner issue. How you're going to incentivize your staff to perform? You know, if you can't do it, what makes you think we can do it as a sponsor? You know what I mean? So it's really going to be incumbent upon the site owner to know what buttons to push for their staff members to get them to be able to do that. And, you know, obviously the sponsor can, you know, have an executive call and talk about, you know, the importance and that kind of thing. But ultimately it's really about sites really buying into why they're there and their importance in the process. And unfortunately what, what's, what's happened is you'll be on a study where the patient population and the protocol just meet up really good and it's easy. <laughs> and everybody can recruit for the studies that are easy because they almost recruit from themselves. The referrals come in, you ask somebody like, oh, heck yeah, we love to do that. The question is, what do you do on the studies where it's not so easy, where the protocol is a little bit more challenging? And that's where it takes the, that energy level that I talk about that requires you to do a little bit more, a little bit extra, a little bit longer um, to get your outcome. So maybe maybe the, the sponsor should educate more the sites about it uh, or the options that are out there. <clears throat> I mean, that sites can take into, I mean, that can make it as part of their uh, site. Um, how can I say? Uh, I don't Maybe think daily. So. No, no, I kind of, uh, I actually want, I'm going to throw it back on the sponsor because if, if you are working on a study and you're getting that many leads and you're only able to schedule so many, it must be a very difficult protocol. I would assume with very difficult criteria. So that doesn't even fall on the site. I think that I would say most of the sites are probably doing what they can with the resources that they can. If the sponsor has a very difficult protocol, they need to go back and revise their protocol, or they need to start doing some outreach and connecting with other physicians in the community to help these sites get possibly potential patients. Kind of going back to what Derek said, reaching out to your community. But I think this is where maybe the sponsor needs to step in and help those sites and physicians do that. That might be actually less expensive than trying to throw money at another campaign that is gonna yield the same results. 
Um, you know, I think there's other ways they can go about it. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, I know about incentives. I have had, um, I've been on studies where sponsors, they didn't pay us like a recruitment fee. As you mentioned, it's kind of a gray area, but we've received gift cards before for like, um, Starbucks or DoorDash to buy lunch for the staff, things like that. So that's another incentive too. If um, the referrals are there and sites aren't doing everything they, they need to do, maybe as an incentive as a gift card might be better than, you know, some oh, kind of now bonus. That you yeah. that, Julie, now, that, now that you mentioned that we had in the past been incentivized, like for example, if we get a certain amount of patients during a specific period, they will, the sponsor will give us a bonus. I think it was like within one month or two months, they will give us a bonus per patient. But was that to the site or a bonus to the actual staff, like the coordinator no, and the, the recruiter? Uh, the sponsor to the site, oh, okay. uh, obviously. <laughs> the site should <laughs> give it to the staff. That's what I was saying. It's supposed to trickle down. Yeah, I mean, That's obviously, the, obviously yes. the, 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 yes. the, most important, the most important asset of a company are the employees, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so you got to take it. You have to take care of your employees. Yes, right. no, I agree with both yeah, of you guys on that. That's true. With the sponsor, like the sponsors, you know, the IE criteria too strict, but they're not going to change that. But I, what I, where I was disagreeing with you, Monica, I think this is where you were going. It was like sponsors should educate sites on how to do these things. Sponsor will never, ever, ever, ever be creative about anything. Their liability <laughs> is all they think about. If you're waiting for a sponsor uh, to be creative okay. about anything, you're going to wait, you know, uh, for a very long time. Uh, it's just not going to happen. But well, this is why, why LICR is here, right? <laughs> this is exactly why LICR exists and why other companies exist. Uh, so they can outsource. They can outsource that part to That's right. us, for example. <laughs> but, 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 if you see, but if you see it, though, we are, we are, we are filling a void. There is a void. There is a mm -hmm. void of creativity. Exactly. Yeah. There is a void of community connection. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that that's a void that we can feel. It's a vacuum that we have the experience, the connections and the know-how to do it. As I mentioned with, with Judy before, ask the sponsor for additional resources for outreach. If you need to bring in someone in that's going to specialize in going out and making those connections, mm -hmm. uh, for your uh, your um, your referral sources, man, trust me, the sponsor would love because they they can't do that like that. It doesn't look it doesn't look the same if they come in if Pfizer comes in and says, hey, you guys come, you know, connect with us. It's so much easier if they say, hey, we'll just give you guys the money and you guys go invite them to come in. Because why? Because they trust you. If we come in, they're going to think we're trying to do something. If we give the money to you, they think, oh, okay, yeah, we trust Dr. Johnson. We trust uh, Judy. We trust Monica. Why? Because we know those guys. So the, if once we just realize what our, our part, this is our part, our part is to encourage the sponsor to support us. It's one of those things that's like that movie, uh, help me help you. What is it, Jerry Maguire? <laughs> help me help you. And they know it. They know it. But just as you mentioned, they don't know how to go to best go about it. 
And this is the great thing. Once you develop, you start developing this ecosystem referral outreach um, development, it'll work with every sponsor because every sponsor needs it. Once you do that, you'll be able to ask for the same kind of budgetary uh, resources to help build that outreach because they all want it. And they're going to keep coming back to you because the more you develop it, the more it's going to produce. So you can include that in the, in the, actual, pro, in the actual budget? Yeah, yeah. Like, you can request know? that. And some, yeah. some sponsors wow. are very open to it. And some, actually, Derek, I think, oh, I yes. wish more were on board yes. with that. Yes. But yes. I've, I've got a lot of pushback on it. Oh, but yeah. I think they're starting to kind of like move mm -hmm. forward. We're like, they okay, are. they understand we have to do something outside of the regular stuff that mm -hmm. we were doing. You know, yeah, if you provide results, they'll, right. they'll pay for it. Yeah. Yeah, yes, but that's the issue. issue. That's that's the issue is that if yeah. it's a difficult protocol and maybe you were struggling at recruiting, you don't have results to provide yet until you're able to do those things. So it's kind of like, you know, well, I can't really show you my results, but I know I can connect with all these people and then hopefully get what I need. Um, so yeah. yeah. Kind of makes know, me think that this is because we're providing and we're paying for the campaign out of sponsors' money. Right. It's not coming out of their budget. I think it, you pay for like a pair of shoes, you take care of it. You buy your kid a car, mm -hmm. they try, my daughter crashed it. Like, I, I think that might be the situation here. It kind of like seems like that. So yeah, thank you guys. <laughs> well, Nicole, I had a question, Nicole, given that you are from a CRO, um, if, you know, for whatever reason, for instance, with like LACR or even, you know, Black Women in Clinical Research or any other organization that's looking to get connected in that sense to, kind of facilitate that gap right for recruitment knowledge or things like that you know what would you say or do you feel is probably the best route to take in order to see you know how to start those conversations how to start those conversations as far as you guys getting in to work well, with us or well, recruitment? oh like just like you know I guess having the conversation with recruitment to see how if there's a possible way of collaboration um, in that sense, maybe not, you know, sometimes I understand that zeros aren't necessarily super comfortable, but maybe in the sense of finding a way to be introduced to their site so that, you know, we're an open, uh, you know, organization that is open for free content and teaching, right. Uh, in, in situations like that. I mean, just yeah, you know, uh, in right send here. me information and I'm all open to present it. Cause right now we're definitely looking for something innovative, something different. Uh, we have a lot of sites. They're like university sites. They're all like, you know, UCLA, uh, University of Washington, all these big sites with tons of doctors and thousands, millions, probably of patients. And yeah, we just, I, we're having a trouble, but it is a study with couples, you know, it's kind of harder, you, you know, you need an andrology lab and things like that, that they have there. Mm -hmm. So, but I haven't really thought about um, the potential of adding on other sites that are not in a university and it's NIH government funded research. I don't know if that makes a difference. So I would need to look at all that, but I have worked on another study. It's a, a private sponsor recently where we had to do booster visits and the whole recruitment thing. And what we did was a sponsor said, you know what, we're going to send every single site is getting a booster visit, even if they're doing well. And we all need them done in a month and a half. And we had like a hundred sites. So it was crazy. We brought on a bunch of CRAs and did all that. Um, but yeah, me, I'm always, I'm always open. I'm always pushing for sites. If there's something that you feel you need from us and you're going to do better, like Nicole, I need this, 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 I want, I need this much money. It's going to cost this long. It's going to run this long. 
I did this other study. We had 50 referrals and we had 20 enrollments or 10, even even good, whatever. And I could take that back and say, hey, you know, then I can definitely, it's, it's more, when they say no, it means on a case-by-case -case basis. There's always room for negotiation. Sure. The sponsor doesn't want to go past their timelines. The sponsor wants to enroll on time. So they will pay and they will throw away more money as needed for that kind of stuff, you know, because it's, I think it's better spent when somebody's actually put the thought into it and has a plan and has a track record. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I think that's definitely, question. yeah, definitely a good idea. Like Judy said, now they are kind of more open to, oh yeah, you did good on like, you know, protocol A, now B, yes, you got it kind of thing. So I think it's kind of that. Okay. Uh, this has been really helpful for me because it's been a while since I worked at the site, you know, level. And man, I mean, I, I think we're making it too easy paying for these central campaigns where everything doesn't work the same in every area, you know? If you have yeah, something I, specific to you, yeah. Most definitely. definitely. And I think that's kind of why we like with LACR, I, I personally love having these interviews because you'll get somebody from Cali, some from Miami, some from up north. And it's a whole different yeah. story, different approach of what's working for who and things like that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm super grateful. And I know the rest of the team is grateful that you're here because getting somebody to speak on, not necessarily on behalf of Zero, but, you know, coming from a Zero perspective, right? It's, it's good to hear because. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the email. Thanks, Dan. Putting it together. <laughs> Thank you, Derek. Yeah, absolutely. We got a question in academia, money incentives are not allowed. If you are good enrolling subjects in full compliance, that will be rewarded in the employee annual performance evaluation. Yeah, and that's part of the problem. And actually what Nicole was saying, I mean, it, it's happening a lot now with the public private partnerships like the academia partnering with community clinics in their area. I know ASU up in Phoenix is doing this with uh, private clinics because they can do things like that. So yeah, academia, this probably doesn't apply in academia because money incentives are not allowed, but in private sites, it's allowed. Matter of fact, at our sites is encouraged. You know, if you can enroll a patient, like even the, the receptionist, hey, if you, if you can get us the pre-screenings, like we're going to give you, you know, 25 bucks or like a Starbucks gift card or something just to keep the ball rolling keep momentum because when you lose momentum at a site it's over i mean it takes so much more effort to get that momentum going again even mm -hmm. if there's a screen failure i'd rather have that activity than nothing screen failure is practice for the staff it gets them going they have to read the scripts go through the icf as opposed to doing nothing what do you do you go on facebook and you look at like uh, newsfeed political nonsense that's, that's, uh, that's the alternative. So yeah, academia, there's a lot of problems there. There's a lot of good as well, because that's where a lot of the early stage research is done. And obviously they have huge databases, but yeah, a lot of this stuff doesn't apply to academia. You are right. You are right. You hit on a, you hit on a really good point though, Dan. And see, I think that, so as we talk about recruitment, so say, say there is a problem with the, um, um, the protocol. If you're recruiting and many of the subjects have the same um, screen failures amongst all of the sites, it sends a direct message to the sponsor, hey, there's something up with this protocol. But it's hard to tell the sponsor, there's something up with the protocol, but, we're, but that's not based on a screening and finding out through the fact that they're failing screening. Right, so you don't really know until you screen them. 
and you're not, and the sponsor doesn't know anyway, we know, but the sponsor doesn't really know until they go through that process. So getting them through that process and building that into your business model, the same, you know, to be compensated a certain amount per screen, uh, screen failure. So it also, it protects you one. And then two, it also lets the sponsor know it isn't us, it's the protocol. And trust me, it won't be just your site. It'll be, it'll be sites all over all over the study, they'll have the same kind of issues if it is truly a protocol related uh, challenge. So I would say, continue to do your part and bring them in. And it, it, it creates a clear message to the sponsor, you know, that we're doing, we're, we're holding up our end of the, uh, of the bargain. Now, what are you gonna do to make some adjustments? And trust me, they do make adjustments. <laughs> that's, what they, that's what all amendments are for. Amendments are because they made an adjustment to the protocol and it does happen, but it's really, you really help to force their hand by bringing in the subjects and showing the possible flaws in the design of the protocol. Yeah, that's actually a great point that I didn't really think about, but yeah, if enough sites are having the same issues, sponsor is going to be forced to go back to the drawing board or just risk not having a study complete on time or ever mm-hmm. any other questions or comments or concerns uh derek we got to do a podcast um i want to get yeah. into the whole generalist thing i think it's <laughs> very important yeah we'd love to love to i think that's pretty much all the questions for now mm-hmm. and we're actually a bit over time uh, but honestly thank you thank so much you. derek Thank you so much, Derek. Really, thank you. Yeah, thank you. You brought different perspective. (laughs) And of course, you know, we would love to have you back on um, as we go through, you know, uh, our openings and things like that. We would definitely keep you in contact because, you know, you brought very valuable information. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Everybody have a great day. Appreciate it. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.